When it comes to the Christian life, the born-again believer experiences sanctification in three distinct ways. First of all, we experience positional sanctification, and this happens at the moment of our conversion. It's at the point in time of our conversion when we are initially sanctified, which is to say that we are set apart from the judicial uh, or, or through the judicial justification of Jesus Christ. And while it's true that the justification of Jesus renders the Christian positionally perfect in Christ, it's also true that those who have been sanctified by faith in Jesus have also been rendered positionally perfect through the imputation of Christ's righteousness. Not only that, but those who have been positionally sanctified by faith in Jesus Christ, well, we can also rejoice in knowing that there's coming a day when we will also experience eternal or perpetual sanctification. And just to be clear, eternal or perpetual sanctification is more commonly known as glorification. And glorification is the one-time event that occurs as the body of the born-again believer is made eternally perfect through the physical resurrection which will eventually occur by the power of the Lord Jesus. And I have no doubt that every Christian here this morning is looking forward to the day of our perpetual sanctification. The third way that Christians experience sanctification, well, this occurs during the period of time between justification and glorification. From the moment of our positional sanctification until the day of our perpetual sanctification, we find ourselves in the process of progressive sanctification. It's during this lifelong process when the Holy Spirit empowers us with the help that we need so that those who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit will become more and more like Jesus Christ each and every day. And it's here in our text today where we find Paul. He's helping us to better understand the steps of progressive sanctification. Now, as we consider the depths of our own depravity, it's important for us to realize that the path of progressive sanctification, it includes an innumerable number of steps which ought to be taken each and every day and by faith in Jesus Christ. And as we study the scriptures before us this morning, we'll begin to see, first of all, that the steps of sanctification include the goal of perfection. Secondly, we'll consider how the steps of sanctification include the call of progression. Thirdly and finally, we'll consider how the steps of sanctification include the walk of prescription. Well, with this as the outline, let's open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Here we find Paul. He's presenting us with the steps of sanctification. And as we make our way to the third chapter of Philippians, I just want to take a moment to put our text back into its context. I'll remind you, it was in our study last week. That's when we learned about the way that Jesus imputes his righteousness to those who trust in him. And while it's true that this renders the born-again believer positionally perfect or positionally righteous in Christ, it's also true that we still need to be sanctified so that we can be practically perfected during our days here on the earth. And with this as the goal, we're going to spend our time today considering Paul's plan for achieving practical perfection, which... Uh, we find these instructions here in the third chapter of Philippians. And so if you would uh, look with me here beginning at verse 12. Here Paul declares, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Now here in our text today, we find Paul, he's informing the original recipients of this epistle that he himself was still an imperfect Christian. Notice again, there in the beginning of verse 12, there again he declares, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on. I like the way that the scholars who created the Amplified Bible render the beginning of this verse. They put it like this. Not that I have already obtained it, this goal of being Christ-like, or have already been made perfect, but I actively press on. More simply put, Paul was admitting here that he was still far from perfect, practically speaking. In order to further make my case, it'll help you to know that the word attain, which is found there in verse 12, it's translated from a Greek word which was used to those who took something by the hand. The same Greek word was also used to those who lay hold of something in order to to claim it or to procure the thing that they're grasping a hold of. And in light of this definition, we can see that Paul was candidly confessing his lack of laying hold of perfection. He had yet to attain it. He had yet to grasp it. He had yet to reach the goal of perfection, which according to him would take place at the time of the resurrection. Now to further make my case here, I want to consider the immediate context of this statement. And so let's dip back into our text from last week. Let's back up and begin reading at verse 10. Here, Paul shared his desire to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. I want to stop right there. I want to consider the way that Paul here is connecting the dots between the resurrection from the dead and the perfection that he was hoping to attain yet had yet to reach. From this we can see then that the born-again believer won't achieve or attain the, the position of sinless perfection until the day when we're entirely transformed. And when does, does this occur according to Paul? At the time of the resurrection. In order to further make my case here, we should consider the way that Paul explains this to the Christians in Corinth. And so, Hold your place here in the book of Philippians and let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As you make your way to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, I want to take a moment to address the arguments of those who insist that Christians have not only been made positionally perfect, but we're also expected to achieve sinless perfection while we remain here on the earth. And while I realize that those who walk in the power of the Holy Spirit will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, it's important for us to realize that those who are attempting to achieve a state of sinless perfection will also continue to struggle and stumble into sin each and every day. 
Having said that, I want to consider the aberrant doctrines of those who insist that Christians can achieve sinless perfection here in this world. One example of this is found in a student handout that a friend's daughter brought home from the Christian school that she attends. This handout included 20 statements which provided the students with a definitive definition of what the teacher perceives to be the true Christian identity. At the top of the list, we find the statement, you are perfect. Now, if you want to mess up any kid's mind in the world, just tell them, you are perfect. It's just not true. None of us are perfect. But that's what it said in the statement. You are perfect, which is followed by the second statement, you are holy and blameless. Now, positionally speaking, I agree with this. Positionally. You know, when when God the Father looks at the born-again believer... He looks at us through the lens of Christ's perfection, and so I'm glad that you know, we're positionally perfect in Christ. But practically, not so much. If you think that kids uh, you know, uh, who are raised in a Christian home are practically perfect, please sign up for children's ministry and help serve uh, there in the classroom. Seriously, though, the eighth statement on this handout assured the kids that they were glorified. Yeah, that's, that's what this teacher is telling his students, that they're glor- glorified. I wonder if the teacher grades the tests that the kids take. Why would you? Every, every test should have a 100%, 100% you know, grade on it, right? They're all perfect. Therefore, there should be no wrong answers on any of the tests. And yet, I doubt that's the case. The 12th statement on this handout informed the kids that they were sinless. Sinless. And then, you know, he also included three more pages uh, in this handout uh, that included Bible verses, all of which were being used as proof texts being taken out of their context. How sad is that? Needless to say, my friend, who is a pastor at another Calvary chapel, he's preparing to speak to the principal of, of that Christian school so that he can address this deviant doctrine that's being presented there in the classroom. And while I can't say for sure if, uh, you know, I, I've never met the teacher, but it sounds like the teacher has embraced the doctrines of the holiness movement. Like if I had to guess, then chances are this teacher um, has bought into the holiness movement, which is based on the belief that the Lord gives Christians a second blessing of his Holy Spirit which seals the believer into a state of sinless perfection. Now, again, I totally believe that we are positionally perfect in Christ, but practically, that's not the case. And it's crucial for every Christian to realize that we won't experience this sinless state of glorification until the time of our resurrection. And I want to consider how Paul explains it here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you would look with me here, beginning at verse 50, Here Paul declares, now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, 
Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Here in these verses, we find Paul describing the way in which death will result in the victory of our resurrection as the corruption of the curse which affects our flesh today will finally and forever be reversed. And it's at that point in time when this mortal body will be replaced with an immortal body. And it's in that state of sinless perfection when we will finally be glorified as we eternally exist in a state of sinless perfection. I, 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 I can't wait for this. But until that day comes, the Christian who wants to be sanctified, well, we must first realize that we haven't yet achieved perfection. If you really want to uh, you know, travel or traverse the path of perfection, we must first begin with the understanding that we haven't arrived yet. Remember, sanctification uh, is the process by which the born-again believer is being perfected, practically speaking. And seeing how the process of sanctification requires us to walk in the obedience of faith, we must first recognize our own imperfection so that we can begin to press toward the goal of perfection. Think about it. The Christian who pretends like they've already achieved perfection is really just blinded by their own foolish pride. You know, like the the, the teacher that I'm referring to, if he really believes that he's already perfect, then how can he begin to travel this path of perfection if he thinks he's already arrived? The Christian who pretends like they've already achieved perfection is just blinded by their own pride and seeing how the pride of life is a sin that keeps us from being sanctified, I encourage every Christian to take the first step of sanctification by humbly recognizing that we haven't yet attained to this standard of sinless perfection. At the same time, we can also rejoice in knowing that there is coming a day when we will be perfected. And I like the way that Paul put it back in Philippians chapter 1. It's in Philippians 1 verse 6 where Paul assured his audience that he was confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul was confident that the sanctifying work that the Lord began in those believers there in Philippi would eventually be completed, which is to say that at that point in time of his writing this, that work of sanctification had not yet been completed. Paul didn't say, don't worry about it, you're already perfect. No, he says, Christ began this work of sanctification and he's going to complete it. And according to Paul, this sanctifying work by which we're perfected, when is it completed? On the day of Jesus Christ. According to Paul, the sanctifying work by which we are perfected is completed on the day of Jesus Christ, which is the point in time when we are raised up at the time of the resurrection. And as we look forward to the day when this mortal will finally be clothed with immortality, Every Christian should continue pressing toward the goal of perfection. And now this brings us to our second point. Because listen, the steps of sanctification not only includes the goal of perfection, but the steps of sanctification also includes the call of progression. And with this as the focus, let's make our way back now to Philippians chapter 3. Here we find Paul. He's Describing the way that we should uh, make progress every day on the path of perfection. And with that, I want to take another look here, beginning at verse 12. Here again, Paul declares, not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on 
that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now here in these verses we find Paul, he's describing the way that he pressed forward toward the goal of perfection. Just to be clear, that word press, which is found there in verses 12 and 14, that word is translated from a Greek word which was used of those who seek after something eagerly as they earnestly endeavor to acquire the thing that they desire. The same word was also used in a figurative sense in reference to the athlete who runs a race swiftly in order to reach the goal. And it's in our text here today where we find Paul using this same sort of word to describe the spiritual progression that ought to occur as we move forward in faith. Much like an athlete who is racing towards the finish line, the Christian ought to be moving forward, pressing toward that goal line. And I like the way that the scholars who created the New Living Translation render verse 12, they put it like this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Rather than simply accepting his state of imperfection, you know, because some Christians do that. Well, this is just the way I am. No way to change me. No, no, no way for, for me to break out of the bad habits that, and, and the sinful things that I've gotten used to doing, so I might as well just sit right here. No, Paul wasn't taking that position. That's, that's, the, that's the mentality of a defeated, backslidden believer. Paul instead pressed on. He, he saw his imperfections and was unwilling to sit there and continue in those imperfect ways. He, he pressed forward in faith towards the goal of perfection. And in light of his example, every Christian should realize that the Lord is calling us to move forward in faith. He's not saying sit there and stew in your own sins. No, he's calling us to move forward so that we might become more and more like Jesus through the progress of sanctification. And with this as the goal, I want to consider the way that Paul progressed on this path of perfection. Notice with me again, there in the beginning of verse 13, here again he declares, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. And here again we find Paul, he's confessing to the fact that he had yet to apprehend this state of sinless perfection that he so desired. And yet at the same time, he also assures his audience that he wasn't wasting any time focusing on all the failures of his past. And regardless of whether he was talking about the sins he committed before becoming a believer, remember he was a persecutor of Christians, or maybe he's referring to sins that he was struggling with after coming to Christ, because who doesn't? Either way, what we can say for sure is that Paul wasn't spending his time focusing on the sins of the past. He wasn't dwelling on all of the failures of yesterday. And in light of his example, we do well to realize that those who want to move forward must first stop focusing on what's behind. If you want to move forward, you need to focus forward. Whether you're driving or or you're running, 
or, or whether you're doing something super spiritual like mountain biking, you gotta, you gotta focus forward. You, you gotta keep focusing forward where you're headed. If you spend your time focusing on all the failures in your past, you'll never move forward. The reason why is due to the fact that we tend to head towards those things that we're focused on. Therefore, if you're focused on the long list of sins that define your past, your faulty focus will keep you trapped where? In the past. And it's sad that there are so many in the church that are stuck in the past. Why? Well, because they're just continually analyzing everything in the past. We have to stop focusing on the failures of the past. And at the same time, those who set their sights on, 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 their, on the sins that so easily ensnare us, they oftentimes become those believers who are being pulled towards all the wrong decisions. You know, if you tell me to stop eating chocolate cake, all I'm thinking about is chocolate cake now. And, and I'm heading in that direction. Thankfully, chocolate cake is not a sin. Carrot cake is a sin, but, but not chocolate cake. I want to consider Paul's solution for all this, which is found here in, in, in Philippians chapter 3. Look with me again, beginning at verse 13. There again, he declares, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do. Now, this, this helps me to see that Paul's not good at math, and I, and I appreciate that. He says, one thing I do, and then he lists two things. <laughs> he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Now, you know, we could make the argument that this is one thing, you know, because it's pretty much two sides of the same coin. It's here in the second half of the verse, after telling us that he forgets those things which are behind, that he says now he's reaching forward to those things which are ahead. He's, he's referring to the way that he's no longer looking backwards, but he's facing forwards to the future. And he's reaching forward to the goal line. That word reaching is translated from a Greek word which was used of the athlete who is stretching forward towards the direction of the finish line. And in this context, you know, the finish line is the state of perfection that every Christian will eventually experience on the day when we finally receive our resurrected bodies. That's the finish line. That's, that's the prize. And that's what we should be pressing towards. I want to consider again how Paul puts it here in our text today. Look with me again at verse 14. There he declares, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul was not only reaching forward to the future, but he was also pressing toward this goal so that he could eventually win this prize. And just to be clear, he's not referring to the temporal trophies that come from, uh, you know, uh, from sports competitions and these sorts of things. He, he's not reaching for a, a temporary prize for, from some sort of earthly victory. No, instead he's referring to the prize of sinless perfection, which will eventually be experienced by those who answer the upward call of God by faith in Jesus Christ. With this as the goal, let's take some time to consider how we ought to press toward the goal through the progress of sanctification. And I especially like the way that the Apostle Peter explains it in his second epistle. If you would hold your place here in the book of Philippians, and let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. As we make our way to the 
first chapter of 2 Peter, I just want to take a moment to remind you that the process of sanctification, remember, it begins with our justification, which happens at the moment when the born-again believers set, a, set apart through our conversion, which comes from our faith in Jesus Christ. And after we are set apart, the process of sanctification then shifts from this new justified position in Christ to the progress of perfection, which the believer is being perfected from grace to grace. And in order to understand how we reach forward towards this goal, uh, I want to consider the way that Peter explains it here in 2 Peter chapter 1. If you would look with me there beginning at verse 5. Here the apostle Peter declares this. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. To perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Here in these verses, we find the Apostle Peter. He's helping us to understand the progress of, of sanctification, and he helps us to understand the progress of sanctification by presenting us with a step-by-step plan for how to move forward toward the finish line of faith where we finally receive that prize of the upward call of God. And while it's true that our sanctification begins at the moment when we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ and we're set apart through justification, the born-again believer should also realize that we are called to move forward from that point of faith. Some, some come to faith and just think, well, I've arrived, I'm done. You know, I've got my fire insurance and now I can just go back to the life that I made for myself. Nope. No, the, the step of faith by which we're saved is simply uh, the, the first point of sanctification. We're to add to our faith. We're to add to our faith virtue. Then we're, add, we're, we're to add to virtue Knowledge. Then we increase in knowledge, and those who move forward on the path of sanctification add to our knowledge self-control. To self-control, we are to add perseverance. To perseverance, we're to add godliness. To godliness, we are to add brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. These are the steps of sanctification that we should be taking as we progress forward in faith. And as we consider this path of progress that Peter presents here in this second epistle, we should take a moment to examine our own lives, and and we should do this by asking, am I forgetting those things in the past? Am I leaving the past in the past where it belongs? Or am I still stuck in the past as I suffer from an arrested state of spiritual development because I'm so focused on everything I did wrong before I came to Christ? We should ask, am I adding to my faith? Or am I suffering from an arrested state of spiritual development? Am I reaching forward towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus? Or am I failing to move forward in faith because I'm still pursuing the sinful things of this world? More simply put, am I becoming more and more like Jesus through the progress of sanctification? And if not... 
well, then how should we begin to take the proper steps of sanctification? Well, this question brings us to our third and final point because, listen, the steps of sanctification not only includes the goal of perfection, and the steps of sanctification not only includes the call of progression, but the steps of sanctification also include the walk of prescription. And with this as the goal, let's make our way back to Philippians chapter 3. Here we find Paul, he's, he's describing the way that we should be sanctified according to the perfect prescription presented by the Lord. I want to take another look beginning there at verse 15. Here Paul declares, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now, here in these verses we find Paul, he's helping his audience to understand how our sanctification includes this walk of prescription. Just to be clear, uh, the word walk here is found, uh, it's found there in verse 16. It's translated from a Greek word which was used of soldiers who are marching in step according to their rank and file. And what this means then is that there is a way that Christians ought to walk And there's a way that Christians ought not walk. Christians ought to walk in step with our Savior. We ought to walk according to the rank and file that uh, has been prescribed by our Savior. The same Greek word which was was rendered walk was also used figuratively of those who conform their lives to the righteous and reverent character of Christ Jesus. And what this means is that we ought to walk in a way that is following in the footsteps of our Savior. Now, before we consider the walk that Paul was prescribing here in our text today, I want to back up and consider the importance of becoming mature believers. If you would look with me again there, beginning, uh, in the beginning of verse 15, here again Paul declares, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Now, I want to stop right here. I, I, I had to do a lot of research on maturity because, you know, that's... That's a tough one for someone who effectively has the same sense of humor I had when I was in junior high. But before I launch into a series of uh, junior high jokes, uh, let's consider what it means to be mature. The Christians who are mature will agree uh, that we should be pursuing spiritual perfection. If you're a mature Christian, then you are of the same mindset that moving towards maturity is important. And in this context, Paul's referring to the believers who have developed into devout and dependable disciples because that is a picture of Christian maturity, that we are devout to the Lord and we are dependable to our church. The same Greek word can also be rendered perfect. And that's interesting. The same Greek word can be rendered perfect. The the word mature, the original Greek word can be rendered perfect. And and in this way, Paul seems to be speaking, let's just say with a bit of irony here. And to explain my my point here, let's consider how the scholars who created the Legacy Standard Bible render the words of Paul. If you would look with me again here at Philippians chapter 3, the beginning of verse 15 says this, Let us therefore as many as are perfect think this way. Now that's interesting. And one reason why this is interesting is because, remember, Paul's already confessed in this text that he had yet to achieve this state of sinless perfection. 
So who is he talking about here? If the word should be understood as perfect. If Paul wasn't perfect at this period of time, who would have been? Well, those who just thought they were perfect. You know, the you know, men uh, there in the first century. But uh, so you have people who probably think that they're perfect. And Paul's saying, okay, so let's, let's play on your court and, and just assume for a second you are perfect. If so, then the perfect Christian will believe that we ought to still move towards perfection. That's, that is a perfect mindset. The, the, the mature Christian who perceives themselves to be perfect ought to be mature enough then to realize that we all need to continue pressing towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And according to Paul, those who disagreed with his perfect proposition would eventually discover that they weren't as mature or perfect as they thought themselves to be. Let's consider again how Paul puts it here in our text today. If you would, let's back up. Let's take in just a little bit more context here. Look with me there beginning at verse 14. There he declares, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, therefore, because of this, therefore, because I'm pressing toward the goal uh, for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, therefore, let us, as many of us are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God's going to reveal even this to you. In other words, even if you don't hear it from me, you're eventually going to hear it from God. Therefore, the most mature Christians will realize that we must continue pressing toward the goal until we finally receive the reward of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And those who think anything different will eventually discover they're wrong. If you have any other point of view on this topic of sanctification, it's wrong. And the Lord is going to reveal it to you. That being the case, I encourage every believer to embrace the prescription that Paul presents here in our text today. And with this as the goal, let's take another look there at verse 16. Here he goes on to declare, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, or in other words, to the degree that you have been perfected, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. No matter where you find yourself on the path of Christian maturity, No matter how much you've been perfected from the sins of your past, still we should have the same mindset, which is moving forward, pressing toward the goal line. And Paul tells us to do this by walking according to the same rule. Now, before we consider what this means, I should spend a second pointing out here that those of you who are reading from um, a, a translation that comes from the Alexandrian manuscripts are probably wondering why your Bible is missing the final section of verse 16. And, and so I thought that you know, this might be a good opportunity to address the textual variants uh, that come up from time to time. You might not know this, but the majority of our English New Testaments were created from two different sources. These two major families of manuscripts include the Byzantine family and the Alexandrian family. And While the King James Version and the New King James Version uh, of the Bible, you know the ones that came down from heaven to the earth, um, (laughs) these, these come from the Byzantine family of manuscripts. The ESV, the NIV, NASB, NLT, and and so many others, most modern translations come from the Alexandrian family of manuscripts. And while it's true that there are many textual variants between these two families of manuscripts, it's also true that these textual variants are 
what I would call inconsequential because they don't really alter any major doctrines of the Bible. It's just that, you know, throughout the ages, men have come along and hand-copied, you know, uh, manuscripts. And, and so we, we, we see some, you know, some of those copyists were A students. Some were B students. Some were C students. Some were my friends. You know, so, you know, we're, we're going to find mistakes. We're going to find errors. And then sometimes those errors get copied into other uh, manuscripts and so on and so forth. So we, so we do find these variants between these two major families of manuscripts. But, but they're all inconsequential. It, it, it's a minor issue. And thankfully, we have so many manuscripts that we can actually get back to the original autograph with 99.99% certainty. And with all that being the case, you know, I want to consider what Paul meant then when he refers to the sanctification that stems from the same rule. Just to be clear, it'll help you to know that the word rule, which is found there in verse 16, it's translated from the Greek word canon, which was used of a measuring rod or a carpenter's line or, or a measuring tape. And the same word was also used metaphorically in reference to a standard that enables adherents to judge, live, and act according to the proper principles. Uh, furthermore, this word was used, uh, the, the Greek word canon, it was used in reference to uh, a man who is too large for the chairs here in our auditorium. But no, no, I'm sorry, that's, that's a different Greek word, sorry. That's canon. Uh, the, the, this is canon, and, and it's in reference to the boundaries that are prescribed by the perfect standard of right and wrong. However, Paul encouraged Christians here to press towards perfection by obeying these prescribed boundaries that are found within the canon. Now, it's interesting to note here that the Greek word canon, it's also the basis for our English word, get this, canon. That's right. That's right. This is the same word we now use in reference to the collection of the books which we call the Bible or the biblical canon. Just to be clear, the canon of Scripture encompasses 66 books, which include 39 Old Testament books and 27 New Testament books. And seeing how the, the New Testament canon was still being written at the time when Paul penned this epistle, this epistle being one of the books within the canon, well, there's no reason for us to think that Paul was explicitly referring to the fullness of the biblical canon here in this book. And yet, if you'll allow me the liberty of engaging in a little sanctified speculation, it sort of seems to me that the Holy Spirit might, might have been inspiring Paul to use this Greek word canon in looking forward to the complete canon of Scripture. Maybe, maybe not. But I do like the way that Paul explains the importance of the fullness of the canon in 2 Timothy chapter 3. It's there where he declares all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, when it comes to the process of sanctification, the complete canon of scripture has been given to us so that we can study the prescriptive doctrines that reveal the reproofs and the corrections and the instructions and righteousness that we need so that we can become complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. Or simply put, the Holy Spirit has provided us with the complete canon of scriptures so that we can be sanctified. And according to the biblical boundaries that help us to walk 
on the narrow path of righteousness. And not only that, but the canon of Scripture also helps us to become believers who share the same mindset. I want to consider how Paul puts it here in our text today. So if you would look with me again here at Philippians 3, verse 16. Here he declares, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, or let's walk by the same canon, let us be of the same mind. Here in the final section of this verse, we find Paul, he's encouraging his audience to become believers who are walking by the same biblical canon so that we can set our minds on the same goals. We should walk according to the same canon, according to the same rule, so that we can set our minds on the same goals. Every Christian has been called to be of the same mind. And that's difficult. You know, I consider the the disagreements that I have with my wife Brenda. You know, two people in one household struggle to be of the same mind on every given topic, right? And, And then when we come to the community of the Christian church, you know, every person here represents an individual mentality complete with desires and dreams and, and, and perspectives on doctrine, and, and yet we're called to be of the same mind. We've been called to share the same mindset as we move forward in faith. With this as the goal, I want to consider the way that Paul puts it in Romans chapter 12. It's verse 16 where he says this, he says, be of the same mind Toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. According to Paul, the prescriptive path of progressive sanctification includes humility. And it includes the humility of realizing that the Lord isn't calling us to come to church with the goal of enacting our own agenda. You you can have your own personal mindset. But when it comes to the the Christian community, we have been called to be of the same mind toward one another, which begins with the humility of recognizing that we shouldn't be wise in our own opinions. We haven't been called to come to church with our personal agendas, but we've been called to come like-minded as we seek to serve one another in humility. And while I realize that we all have our own perspectives, which results in a unique point of view, which is commendable, we must not fail to realize that every Christian has been called to become believers who share the same mindset. In order to accomplish this goal, I encourage you to consider the prescriptive instructions that Paul presented in Uh, to the Christians in Colossae. It's actually Colossians chapter 3. It's verses 1 and 2 where Paul declares, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In order to share the same mindset, we must first fix our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when it comes to a competition of who my, whose mind is, is going to reign supreme here at Calvary South Austin, listen, it can't be yours, and it can't be mine. Because remember, we're all imperfect people. We need to fix our focus on Jesus and let his mind reign supreme over this fellowship of faith. This begins when we fix our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. And how do we do that? Because, you know, Jesus isn't physically here with us. 
And, and you know, if you go outside and you look up in, into heaven, you know, how do you know that heaven really isn't, you know, on the other side of China? And the people who are looking up into heaven there are actually looking towards heaven and not us. I don't know. I don't, geography, I, I don't get it. I guess the flat earthers have one up on us there. But, uh, but listen, the, the fact is this, that the way that we fix our focus on the Lord Jesus Christ is not where we fix our, our eyes locationally, but rather scripturally. Jesus is revealed to us in the scriptures. That's the point of the New Testament is to provide us with an understanding of who Jesus is. And of course, we find throughout the Old Testament all the prophecies that help us to even know who to look for. So the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, in order to fix our, our minds on the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to spend time studying the canon of scriptures. And as we spend our time studying the scriptures, we receive the prescriptive instructions that we need so that we can become those believers who are walking by the same rule according to the obedience of faith. And as we walk according to the obedience of faith, well, we're continually being sanctified with every step we take. Now, as we begin to wrap up this study, we should just take a moment to examine our own lives once again by asking, am I becoming more and more like Jesus each and every day through the process of sanctification? Or am I failing to traverse the path of perfection because my steps are headed in the wrong direction? With these questions in mind, I want to take a moment to remind you that the steps of sanctification include the goal of perfection. And the goal of perfection begins with the humble realization that I haven't yet arrived. I know it's easy for us to think that we've arrived. I know it's easy for us to think that we've got it all figured out and that we've been perfected. And, and, and thankfully, you know, we are positionally perfect in Christ. But we must humbly realize that, that we're not practically perfect yet. And, and listen, we don't even grasp the depths of our own depravity at this point in time. And so we must begin by humbly acknowledging, I am not perfect, and the Holy Spirit has a plan to perfect me. The steps of sanctification then also include the call of progression, which compels us to continue pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And, and so the Christian who says, well, I am the way I am, and there's no changing me, well, that's the wrong perspective, you're already defeated if that's the mentality. We have to recognize that the Holy Spirit can help us to overcome that, that bloodline that we keep blaming for our anger. You know, the, the Holy Spirit can help us to overcome the habits that we've formed over the years. But we must progress. We must answer the call of God in Christ Jesus so that we can press toward the goal. Finally, the steps of sanctification include the walk of prescription, meaning that we need to walk it out. And we need to walk according to the biblical boundaries that the Holy Spirit has given us within the scriptures that are able to sanctify us according to the fullness of the canon that he's given us. 
With all this being the case, we can rejoice in knowing that every born-again believer has been positionally sanctified through justification. And we can take great comfort in knowing that we will eventually be glorified, resulting in perpetual sanctification. But as for today, we need to look forward, pressing toward the goal when we will be perfected through perpetual sanctification. And, and we must realize that the Holy Spirit has a plan today to perfect us on this path of progressive sanctification. And with this as the plan, I encourage every Christian in closing that we need to walk in the obedience of faith by pressing toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And as we do, we will be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray.